I'm excited this morning about uh, what I believe the Lord has to say, and, uh, <clears throat> and so I want you to prepare your heart uh, this morning for that. Uh, Merry Christmas season, by the way. Uh, it's an exciting time, and um, I'm just looking forward to what the Lord has to say. I, <clears throat> I do believe he put kind of a whole theme and a whole idea of God with us. Uh, I, I know that might seem simple, but it really isn't. It's a powerful thing. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of unusual births that happened. Uh, if you've ever just kind of looked through that or heard the papers and stuff, there's, there's, there's a ton of unusual births that take place. One of them uh, that took place, uh, there was, it was several years ago, Amber Miller uh, somehow received permission to run the Bank of America 26.2 mile marathon while she was 39 weeks pregnant. And somehow they gave her that permission. And so her and her husband kind of agreed together <clears throat> that they would run halfway and then walk the second half. And so they did that. And when, but when they re- reached the halfway mark, she started having labor pains. But they made the decision to finish it out. They wanted, you know, you, you practice for that. You want to finish it. And so they did finish it out. And uh, right at the finish line is where the, the, the pains got so strong that they took her immediately to the, uh, to the hospital. And within hours, she had a little baby girl named June. <laughs> That's unusual, isn't it? We might have a few other thoughts about that too, but in the meantime, it was unusual. Uh, Also, the oldest woman on record for having a baby was from India, Roha Debbie Lowen, and she had a child. Her and her husband had been wanting children for over 50 years. She She had her first child, and maybe the last, at 70 years old. I don't know. Do the math on that one. That's a challenge. That's unusual. The largest baby ever born. Now, this one kind of got me. I, I don't know. Uh, but and, and when I say this, it's the largest baby ever born. It's the largest baby ever born where the baby survived. Often they don't when they're unusual like that. And it's often the parent doesn't, the, the, the mother doesn't survive. But in this case, both the child and the mother survived. And she had a 22 pound and eight and all the ladies are groaning eight ounce baby if you can imagine that 22 pounds that's bigger than the turkey we had for our whole family <laughs> 22 pounds that's unusual and then this one here I, I found totally fascinating and incomprehensible I, I just don't know how a person I couldn't do this in, in, in over a number of years but uh, Malene a woman gave birth to nine babies at one time and they all survived and so did she there should be a picture of them up here somewhere <clears throat> nine can who, who can even imagine that at one time uh, they were saying that they had to change diapers every three three hours uh, and uh, they used 75 diapers a day and a hundred bottles of milk a day Wow, can you imagine that? that? That's unusual to have that many babies, and, uh, but yet they're, they're all kicking. It's great. It's an awesome thing. So, but, you know, it still doesn't top the unusual birth of Jesus Christ, does it? And when you think about it, and that's what we want to look about this morning, a little bit about the promised Jesus, or Jesus promised, or uh, the main title will be God with us. And uh, it's a familiar term that we're probably all you know, sure of. And I, I just want to go through some things this morning. I felt it would be good. It's good for us to maybe dig a little deeper in the Bible sometimes, because oftentimes we only know the, the main verses that everybody knows. And they get quoted all the time, and oftentimes we quote scriptures because we hear them all the time, but we don't even know where they're at. And, and we don't know where they came from or what do they really mean. And to me, that brings the weakness to the body of Christ. It brings weakness to our lives if we really don't know <clears throat> the Word of God. 
because it says that the Bible is the living word. And so I wanted to look at some things this morning that I think would be important for us to actually know because it produces in us the unshakable foundation that we need. And if, 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 if you don't need it yet, you will. And, 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 and so we want to establish that over this next season. I want to read this verse here in Isaiah, which again, it's, we would all know this because kind of it's a Christmas verse that we probably hear a lot, but we want to discuss it just a little bit. Isaiah 7 and verse 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give a sign. Behold, a virgin shall come, shall come and conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God is with us. Let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to quicken some thoughts in us this morning and deepen some scriptures in us this morning and deepen some understanding in us this morning that I believe is critical in the day that we live in to, to have. So Father, today I just pray that each one of our hearts will be open to not just hear the word with our outer ear, but Father, to hear it with our spiritual ear and our inner understanding and that the eyes of our understanding, our spiritual eyes would also be open. <clears throat> and we would see some things today, Father, that maybe we haven't known, and maybe uh, we've heard it, but we haven't really gleaned the revelation of it, that today would be the day that revelation comes to each and every one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The word is supposed to be powerful, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword. And as we look at it this morning, I want you to know that uh, allow it to have its, uh, its work in you. Allow it to do whatever surgery might be needed <clears throat> in your life. And, I, and I'm doing the same as I've researched this and gone through it. Before we jump into uh, back into the Isaiah verse, I want to look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, but when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth his son. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And so I'm reading along in the scriptures and I come to Galatians 4. What does that mean to me when the fullness of time has come? It has a meaning. There's some meaning behind it. And I think in particular, we can actually look at the landscape and the culture, which you can generally do, and you can begin to understand the scriptures better. Because all of a sudden now you realize, oh, that's what it was talking about. That was, that's the importance of that particular verse in the fullness of time. Really, it didn't mean anything to me before, but now it does. And that's what I'd like to just open up to you, a small portion of what that means, <clears throat> So that maybe we can see things a little bit different about the fullness of time. Uh, particularly when this was written, uh, it was in a time and a season when, when spiritually he's referring to in that season, in the fullness of time when Jesus came. In that season, it was a season where the Jewish people had become disillusioned. Because remember, they were waiting for the Messiah, right? They were like, this is going to happen. We've been going through all this stuff with Abraham and Isaac and Moses and deliverance and all of these things, and, and, and yet it's still not happening. You know, uh, it's, it's been 4,000 years and it's still not happening. And, and so they're, they're sitting there spiritually, they're kind of in a place where they're like wondering, well, where is this Messiah? And then the Roman government, which had kind of taken over the world at that time, at that particular time, uh, the Roman government had what they would call uh, <clears throat> mini-gods, so they had all these gods, and you can probably remember some of the stories, all these different gods. Paul in Ephesus once said, wow, you guys have gods to everybody here. You know, he was walking through the town. He says, you have so many gods, you even have one that's called the unknown god. So they were searching, they, they were searching, searching, searching to find a God. And you really will find that everywhere you go, every place that they've ever discovered, they all have a God that they established. Why? Because there's a sense that we were created from somebody, and maybe they didn't understand who, but there's that sensing everywhere you go in the world. There are rock gods, you got sun gods, you got all these things happening. Well, this is that type of season where even the Romans were disillusioned with all of their gods because they weren't producing the results that they knew they were supposed to. And so, so they're at this place spiritually where they were even maybe looking toward Judaism. Some history tells us they were looking toward Judaism. Well, maybe that's the Messiah. Maybe that's the God. 
And so they were in this season, at this fullness of time, everybody seemed to be frustrated, lost, and confused about who this God is. But it seems like everybody's chasing him. And and, and, and culturally, uh, culturally, what we see in this particular season, about 200-year season, uh, uh, 125 years before Christ came, and about 25 or 30 years after, there was a season where the Roman government had put together one language for everybody to speak. Remember at the Tower of Babel, it was totally confused, all the languages, and they, they did that to break up the unity. Well, this is the first time since the Tower of Babel that there was one universal language, and the Romans made sure of that, and it was Greek. And so now they're in a place now where Everybody understood everybody, for the most part. So spiritually, culturally, politically, at that time, Rome did a thing that they call Pax Romana. Pax Romana. And what that meant was a time of peace or a world of peace. And so they had so taken over the world with their armies that they were able to pronounce peace and they were able to stop almost all wars during this season. And in the process, Rome built over 250,000 miles worth of roads. That's a lot of roads. Most of those, or many of those, were paved, and some of those, they say about 50,000 miles of those, are still able to be seen today. Anybody heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? That's where it comes from. So now all of a sudden, we have all these roads that are going all over the world. We have the Roman army that's the most powerful army that there is on the planet at the time, and they're guarding these roads because they want this peace to be taking place. And so now it's made it possible for people to get around and travel around and be around uh, in in a much easier way. One historian put it this way. He said, now the gospel is is in the most known language in the world under the most ideal circumstances ever with people who are hungrier than ever. And it was that, and and, and they could go more places freely and safer than ever. It was the fullness of time, it seemed. So in other words, when Christ came to the earth, everything was set, the stage was set for him, not only to be received, but also to be communicated out. And we know that, you know, Paul and different ones took all of their missionary journeys on these roads that Rome built. And so sometimes we, we don't really understand what's happening around us, and we don't understand what the government might be doing, we might not understand why things are going like they are, but you know, that's the time when the people of God need to buckle down and get into relationship with God so they're hearing Him, because He has a plan for everything. Nothing's happening out of His control, and, and, and yet if I'm not hearing, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be the one that ends up slipping away. And we, we talked a little bit about that last week, so I won't go into that. But it's important for us to walk in faith, which means I need to hear God because faith comes by hearing from God. Now, I know that the quote is the word, but the word there is uh, rhema, which means you're hearing from God. It's not just another book. It's not just some writing on a page. This is literally the living book that's speaking to me and helping me to understand the times and the seasons that we're in. God never wanted you to be in darkness. And when he saved you, the first thing it talks about is I'm going to move you into light. And I'm going to help you to journey through. And I'm going to help you do and fulfill the amazing will of God. Now let's go back to Isaiah chapter 7 for just a moment here. Isaiah chapter 7. And and let's look at this word. And and if you didn't know, Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Now that's a long, how many think that's a long time? That was written. So he knew this. He had a revelation from God 700 years before before, and he said this, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And he talks about the virgin birth, and he says, the Lord's going to give you a sign. What's a sign for? Isn't a sign to kind of point you to something? 
You know, you go down the freeway, and what do they have? Food signs. And what are those for? Make you hungry, right? Make you thirsty, make you want to get something. Well, this is what he's saying. There's a sign here. I'm going to give you a sign, and, I, and this sign is supposed to direct you. I think it should stir us up. It should make us hungrier for the Lord. When we see things, and when you see things that are happening around you, what are you seeing? Are you seeing the signs from hell? I didn't know how else to say that. Or are we seeing heaven signs? Are we seeing, wow, God spoke about all this, and this is affirmed in my heart and spirit, and I see it in his word, and I am not going to fear, but I'm going to press in like never before because I'm living in the day that he wanted me to live in so I could do what he wanted me to do in whatever's happening around us. And remember, one of his names was he was the deliverer. He delivers us. Come on. Come on, remember they were in prison and they just started worshiping God. I encourage everybody to worship. And what did he do? He broke off the he broke open the doors and took off the chain. Just go on and on. He's the deliverer. He's going to take care of us through everything. How many believe that? Yeah. See, but if I start looking at all the fear signs, then what am I going to do? I'm going to miss the right signs. And I'm going to be lost. So it's critical that we, Isaiah said, hey, he's going to give you a sign. Now, this is a weird sign, really, for back then. It's weird today, too. But it was weird back then, wasn't it? Listen to what the sign was. And, 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 and look, the virgin will conceive a child. Well, I hadn't heard of that one. Why would that be? How does that happen? That never happened before. How could they hardly even believe that? Right? I mean, and, and, then, uh, and, and then she's going to have a son. Wow, they even knew, knew that there was going to be a boy. And then the last thing, and, and it's going to be what? God with us is what he's going to be his name. Now, you think about it. If you lived in that day, you would have remembered and understood more because they told more stories from one generation to the next back then than we do today probably. And, and they, they, they knew the story about when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they had everything beautiful. And when God made them, what did he do? He blew his spirit into them, didn't he? He gave them the breath of life. He gave them the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't until they sinned that he took the spirit back. And that's why when a person is not saved, they can still think, they can still walk, they can still do everything, but their spirit is dead. And so when they become born again, what comes to life? Their spirit. And then almost everybody I know, all of a sudden, it's like, aha, uh, now I see it. Now I understand. Now I get this thing. Because something changes. Your spirit comes back to life, which can now relate to God. It can now understand the word. You can't understand it without the spirit. You can now understand God and know God. And everything began to change, and then they realized that Adam sinned, and that changed, and he got kicked out of the garden and locked away from the tree of life because he wanted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which is interesting that Apple would have an apple with a bite out of it on their computer. And the whole heart and theme of that, the whole heart and theme of their logo by their description is lust and knowledge. That's what it meant to them. We can, we can know everything. Interesting. Just a side note. Just a thought. Never mind. Don't even think about it. <clears throat> Don't throw away your apple, okay? <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> Don't do it. I'll deal with it. Uh, but that is interesting. Okay. So anyway, so, so he gives us a sign. He says it's going to be God with us, which would be very unusual because up to this point, they knew that they were taken out of the presence of God. And then God and brings Moses now, and Moses builds a tabernacle, which was what? The house of God. That's where God decided to house himself while he was waiting for the promise so that men could have a connection with God because God knows you can't make it without him. If you think you can make it out with God, you're greatly mistaken. You have to have him. So he sets up these tabernacles, and he brings us all the way through so that God could still be with them in a certain way. I don't have time to go through all those stories. And then Jesus comes, and it says he was the fullness of God. But what was it? He was a temple that held the Holy Spirit in the fullness of God. 
and he shows us how it's done, and he shows us that it could be done, that, that God would be back. Uh, it really, it's a, it's a conversion from uh, God not, is it's no longer with us like it was in that day, but now God is in us. And you'll see that transition in the scriptures. And, and what is he doing? He's bringing us back to the place where we were through Jesus Christ's righteousness, not our own. Because we didn't have it. We gave it up. So Matthew now, he brings some clarity to this prophecy. Look at this here. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. And we all know that story, I think. But before the marriage took place, while she was still what? A virgin. She became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here we have now several hundred years, several 750 years later, we have the gospel coming forth and this revelation coming to them. Let's just look at a couple more prophetic insights. And I, I threw these up on, the, up on the screen for us. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the increase of his government and peace, there will, there will be no end. Wow. How many think that's good news? What's he trying to tell us here? Is he trying to tell us we lose in the end? We're the tail and not the head? No. But see, if I don't know this, if I don't read this, then I'm going to read the other signs that says everything's going to hell in a handbasket, as the oldies used to say. And that's what I'm going to let my mind take a hold of. And whatever I let my mind take a hold of is how I'm going to live my life. It's how I'm going to walk. It's how I'm going to do everything that I do. If I really believe that the, the world, that Jesus really didn't get the victory for me, he didn't really take care of the devil, he didn't really empower the church to fulfill the will of God, then I'm going to work in the other direction. I'm not going to believe for that. I'm not going to live for that. I'm not going to work toward that. Does that make sense? Because you're going to act out whatever you believe. And if you watch all the news and you don't read your Bible, then you're going to believe a lie. You're going to believe a wrong thing. You're going to believe that things are much worse than what they are. For the church's sake. The increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. I'm just talking to you about the Bible. I'm not straying far from it so that you can really believe it this morning. So I want you to believe this. The increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You see, that's why when you read something like this, it was written hundreds of years before. Then you come to the New Testament. How many have ever memorized the genealogies in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3? Anybody? No, nobody has. You, even don't, you probably don't even read them in your daily readings. You just skip over me, begat who, begat who, begat who, begat who. You know, why would I read that more than once? But the reason it's there is because it's affirming what the prophet said. He said, I'm going to have a lineage that's going to go all the way through. And if you read Matthew chapter 1, what you find out is it gives you the lineage from Abraham, our father of faith, all the way to Jesus. And if you read Luke, it gives you the, 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 the genealogy all the way from Adam to Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, when I go back and read Isaiah, oh, <laughs> he said that way before, and it actually happened that way. And you can trace the genealogy, obviously, historically. You can trace the, the, this through. And so, but see, if I don't know that, then I get weakened in what I'm reading, and I don't really believe it. Isaiah chapter 40 said this here. It says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and every hill will be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Remember Isaiah said way back, he says, hey, great darkness is going to cover the earth, but guess what? The glory of the Lord is going to arise upon it. And how many know every time you turn on the light switch that it puts the darkness right out? It's going to happen, I'm telling you. 
The glory of the Lord, as the prophet said, is going to fill the earth. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken of it. Now, when you read something like that, now you jump forward to Matthew. Now, let's read something here and see if it has a familiar ring to it. Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for what the... Excuse me, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way, make the way straight. Prepare the way. <clears throat> Don't hide away, but prepare the way. So I need to know what should I be preparing? What should you be preparing? Are you preparing anything? I mean, that's a call to us. It's not just a call from uh, 2,000 years ago. It's a call from 2,700 years ago. There's something I should be doing, some place that we have. Now, let's read a little bit further in this Galatians chapter and see if something kind of jumps out at us. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Remember, that was the Jewish, all, uh, everything before Christ, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his, the spirit of his son, whereat? into your hearts. The transition just took place. Not going to just be with you. He's going to be in you. Come on, this is important. Crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you're no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir of God through Christ. Come on. Wow, it doesn't get much richer than that. It doesn't get much, much clearer than that. And I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, what does really happen? It just seems that what really happens is that I, I'm, I'm walking along, just thinking of myself. I'm walking along, enjoying life, thinking I have everything under control, doing fine, everything's well. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm what I thought was happy at, uh, most of the time. Um, <clears throat> but all of a sudden, a knock starts happening on the door of my heart. Well, I finally open that up because that's what revelation says i will stand at the door and i will knock on the door of your heart and i actually remember in that that day that i was saved i kind of remember my heart had started to beat a little bit quicker you know it really did and i just thought wow and as god was speaking to me through that service and and, and yet all i had to do was open the door then his spirit comes in and he does the rest because i can't save myself there's nothing i can do i can't be good enough and it's just this process, and so you read the scripture, and you think, wow, he now, <clears throat> excuse me, he sent his into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So all of a sudden, now I open my heart, he jumps in, and now I'm able to cry, Abba, Father. And that, I, I receive salvation through him. It's an, it's an amazing thing as, as you do that. And, and even again, as you read the whole Old Testament, let me just tell you this. The whole central theme, I know we've got lost in calling it the law and the Ten Commandments, and we want to throw those out because none of us like those, but, but the reality is, is that it, it, the whole Old Testament is all about Christ. You find him throughout every book of the Bible, and yet as I read it, do I think that? Do I understand that? Is it translating from just a story that I heard in Sunday school to the reality of it's trying to... Give me a sign. It's trying to point me somewhere. It's trying to get me somewhere. Listen to this here. Uh, Luke tells us this in, in, in Luke chapter 24 and verse uh, 27. Uh, it says this here. It says, beginning with Moses, Old Testament, and all the prophets, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures things concerning who? Himself. And there's many other scriptures. You know, it says, lo... I think it's Psalms 110 and also it's quoted in the New Testament. Lo, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. It's about a person. It's about a person and a relationship that you can have with a person. It's not about just me knowing something up here. It's much more than that. And I believe that when we begin to see that, now all of a sudden when I read in the Old Testament and I start reading about this sacrifice, all of a sudden I'm like, wow, what does that mean? 
Ah, it's all pointing to Christ because didn't he become our sacrifice? Let me just give you maybe a few examples of that. First, in the Old Testament, uh, we, we do see our need for Jesus. And we see that initially, I, I believe, through the Ten Commandments, which how many know the Ten Commandments are still valid? They just don't save you, but they're still valid. You'll find none of those things that are opposite in heaven, in case you were wondering, in case you've already thrown those out. But listen to this here. Here's what that does to us. Here's what the Ten Commandments does to us. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Through the law comes what? The knowledge of sin. So just like looking in a mirror, you'll be able to see the dirt on your face. When you look into his word, you begin to see the dirt on your soul. And all of a sudden, you begin to understand, oh, yes, that's not good. <laughs> that's not me. That's, I'm not an heir of that. I'm an heir of Jesus Christ who doesn't do that. Has anybody ever had a change or a transition in their life years after they were saved? Raise your hand if you've ever felt a change in your life. Come on now, please, don't make me make an altar call here for lying. You know, everybody, every one of us has. You know, all of a sudden, what happens? You were hopefully reading the word or heard a message, and all of a sudden it hits you, and you, oh man, that's right. I guess I should stop gossiping. I guess I should stop lying. What for? Because you looked into the law. And it showed you that. And, 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 and oftentimes, I will tell you if, you, if you don't read the Old Testament, you probably won't understand the New Testament. Uh, Galatians 3 and verse 24, the law was our guardian. So it wasn't a bad thing. It was our guardian. What? Until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. So, so the law has a very important place to play. Secondly, in the Old Testament, we see it points to Jesus in a number of what we would say messianic prophecies. Isaiah chapter 53 and verses 5 and 6. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, it says this here. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Think about the New Testament here. Think about what happened to Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions. This is written again 700 years prior. And the Old Testament was completely written and compiled 200 years before Jesus' birth. So not only was it prophesied 700 years, they put this thing together in what they call the Septuagint. In other words, they translated from the Hebrew language to the Greek. Remember, what was the language of that day? It was the Greek. So now 200 years, it was all completed 200 years later, which is still a good amount of time, Jesus gets born and fulfills this prophecy. And by the way, he fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Old Testament to the day of his birth, his death, and his resurrection. It's amazing. It's just absolutely, it's, it's unheard of. You, you wouldn't do that. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was chastised, uh, excuse me, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And his wounds, we were healed. With his wounds, we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned uh, everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Wow. What does he do? He does that several hundred years later. Isaiah, and I'll use Isaiah a lot because Isaiah is, uh, probably speaks more about Jesus than any other Old Testament book. Isaiah is, prof, uh, is, is, uh, is quoted uh, more than any other Old Testament writer. I think he's quoted over 80 times in the New Testament. So we see this guy's important. Isaiah is important. It's an important book for you and I to read, especially today. It will begin to unfold some of the stuff that you've learned and you've read uh, in, the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament, which a lot of us seem to hang there. And there's nothing wrong with the New Testament, but we just need to understand we need to have a fuller picture. Let's jump ahead here a couple of scriptures, uh, Daniel, uh, to John 5.39. 
I was going to give you some more examples, but I think uh, th th that's enough. You know, we know he was the Passover lamb. We know he was the temple. We know uh, the Exodus points to Jesus and what he did for us and so forth. So we, 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 it's just over. You, you can't, it's, it's just over and over throughout the Old Testament pointing to Jesus, just like he said. Okay, and, uh, and he said this uh, about... Uh, about himself, John 5.39, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. Do you hear what he's saying there? That always bothered me. I didn't know quite. What does that mean? I, I memorized some scriptures, but that doesn't give me eternal life. Neither does going to church, right? Come on, I'm just being honest with you. But what does it do? But the scriptures point to me, this real person. <coughs> Excuse me. John 5, 46, if you believed Moses, we read this, you would believe me too, for he wrote about me. He wrote about me. And again, I just find expanded understand, understanding as I read the Old Testament, understanding that it's also about the New Testament. Benjamin Warfare, a Princeton theologian, said this. He said it this way. I just thought it was so well worded. The Old Testament is a richly furnished but dimly lit room. In the New Testament, nothing is added but light. <laughs> I just think that's so well said. So well said. Uh, a professor of mine in college, Kevin Connor, said it this way. He says, the new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. And so we kind of just see they work together to give us a clear understanding, <clears throat> excuse me, so that there's no need for us to, uh, to be in darkness, even in the day that we're living in, even if this is a day of gross darkness, there's no need for you and I to be in darkness. We should be receiving what we might call revelation, even though it's actually illumination. We would use the term revelation because we just do for some reason. But it's actually illumination. All of a sudden, when things make sense to me out of the Bible, it's illuminated. The light comes on. And now I read that a hundred times, but now it makes sense to me. That's, it. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. It illuminates, turns on the light switch, so now all of a sudden I understand what I'm reading. And it's just, it's just an amazing thing when I step into that realm because that's when I begin to see that it's, it's, it's really a living book. And as I read it, it should be speaking to me even as I speak to it. And so as I look at it and as I read it, am I affirming in my heart and spirit, yeah, God, that's right. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. That's, what I, that's how I want to live. That's what I want to, I want to have lead my life. I want to be led by light. The, the word of God is a light unto my path, right? It's a lamp unto my feet. And, and it's one of those things where God says, I want to bring revelation to you. And I feel like as we step into this Christmas season, what we need to really see is this revelation coming to us. So that by the Spirit all of a sudden, uh, it, it's, it's coming alive again. If I could have the worship team come up, I think they're around somewhere. Uh, that would be great. I want to wrap up this morning with just a couple thoughts uh, and then... Uh, and, and, and then we'll wrap it up and maybe finish off those pastries outside. So save me some if you beat me out there. When you look at the scriptures, uh, there's just a couple things uh, that I want to just highlight here quickly. And I don't even know if I put these up. Do you have 2 Samuel 7, 12, and 13? <clears throat> Was I that diligent to get those? see you. No? Well, that's too bad. All right, let me just read it to you. You'll believe me that's in the Bible, okay? Second Samuel chapter 7. I just want to point out again just a couple of things here about the prophetic word and the fulfillment of it <clears throat> and how, 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 how that should change our perspective as I read the word. It says, when your days are over and, and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And, and he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Wow. 
Wow. You know, I don't know. I don't know exactly how to say this little piece here, but <clears throat> as I was looking through some of these scriptures, I thought about the whole, you know, from one generation to the next generation. And I was reminded of Abraham's seed. Remember Abraham, through he was going to bless the whole world through his seed, through his lineage. And remember, he had the bad son out of the flesh, Ishmael. But the seed that Jesus was talking about was going to be his own son, which was Isaac, which is considered what? A, a miracle son. Right? Remember the age thing? The whole, we thought 70 was really late. <laughs> but, it, you know, his, him having this child was a miracle thing. <clears throat> and so there's a miracle seed that he talks about being passed from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. Can I just encourage you, especially with your children, especially those that have younger children? And really it applies to everybody. But your kids need to know what they're carrying. They are the seed of the promise. And God wants you to raise them up. That's why he says, raise them up in what? The nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Why? Because it's not just another nice kid you're trying to raise. We're talking about a seed here. He birthed the seed in Mary through Jesus Christ, and Jesus passes that responsibility on to us. So it's out from one generation to the next generation. I just thought, wow, if parents only saw their kids as more than this children, but they saw them as seeds that God wants to use and that he will use, that it would change the way that they handle their children, change the way that they build them up and bring them up. Because we're not just handling something natural, are we? We're talking about, we're talking about God in us passing it on. From one generation, your seed, you read seeds throughout the Bible and you begin to see, wow, this is important. This is important. And so I just, I just, I guess just a side note, free from the message, parents, see your kids as seeds that you're raising up for God. Doesn't it say that they're not even yours? You know, he just gives you the privilege, this responsibility to do what? raise up the seed <laughs> be involved <laughs> but you have to start with last week's message to do that if you didn't hear it you can just go back and listen to it online you got to start with last week's message because you can't pass on what you don't have but it's going to be critical for your kids to know this as well as to be empowered in the Word and, and empowered not only in the Word, but filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit for them to make it in their day. Many in our day aren't making it, so I can't imagine their day. So the Bible starts with the Spirit coming into man in the garden, the breath of life being blown in him. Sin came in and God removed his spirit and took him out of the garden. But then he immediately began to activate the plan of redemption to redeem mankind because he's always loved you. He's always loved us. He's never at a moment not loved us. And then he brings forth prophet after prophet that begins to prophesy about what's going to happen. Signposts all this way. 4,000 years worth of signposts and then all of a sudden the signposts become fulfilled through one man being born of a virgin Jesus Christ himself and his desire was for each and every one of us to again become the temple of God the housing of God in other words so that God's spirit our only hope could come back into us but we couldn't do that on our own because sin could not afford the price of sinlessness which is why Jesus was born of a virgin so that he could come as the sinless one and as we read he was bruised he was beat up he was all these things for us simply so that upon receiving him he could Therefore, cleanse our temple, 
and make it ready for God's very spirit to come back inside of us. That's the beautiful hope. <laughs> That's the beautiful hope. Listen to these scriptures, and I just wanted to read these because I just felt like there's so many things out there now that are actually just darkness and deception that if we don't establish this foundation, we'll be, we'll be, we'll, we'll be following those signs. And, and, and things are going to look okay, right? Because there are things that seem right to man, but the end is destruction. The, the wisest man in the world spoke to us. And he warned us. He gave us a sign way back. Now listen to this here. John 14, 6. Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. So he narrowed down this whole uh, uh, many gods thing. There's not a bunch of ways to get to God. But that's not mean or cruel because God's a loving God and he'll make you to come into contact with him. It's just your choice, though. But if you choose another God, that's your choice. But Jesus said, I'm the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and no one comes to the Father. John 3, 17 says this here, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn us, but that the world through him might be saved. John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Just close your eyes for just a moment. Because I feel like in the day we're living in, there seems to be a lot of back and forth about things. Even about, you know, people don't like the fact that Jesus said he's the only way. They would prefer to just choose their way and think that's a mean God that would say that. But it's really not. He's just trying to be honest with us. He's the only way. And if I think there is another way, I'm deceived already. And if I think there's another way to live, I'm deceived already. And, and because I started following the wrong signposts. And so I want to open up to everybody that's online, everybody in this room, the reality of you must be born again. There's no other way. And if you're born again, you know it because you have a certain experience, right? He gives you this new heart that changes everything. You might not be perfect yet, but you're changed. You're a different life and you know it. And there's a hunger and a thirst after God and you pursue after him. And I feel like there may be some that need to initially respond to just that call. Remember, going to church doesn't get you there. And then there's others that maybe you've used to have a fervor for God, but now it's dissipating. Can I tell you why? Because of all the lies that are going on around us. There's going to be an increase. I think it's Daniel that prophesied. He said, there's going to be so much of an increase of knowledge, it's going to blow all your minds. Might not have said blow your minds, but he does talk about a lot of knowledge coming. This is going to be a different world, and we're living in that different world today. We're living under, uh, under the apple, the lust and the knowledge. And I'm just telling you, when I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, maybe that's not so far from the tree of knowledge of good and evil than what I'm thinking. Because what has the computer world brought into us? Has it not brought some good and evil? I remember a friend of mine said, Years ago, so if you have a, and I wouldn't, if you have a computer in your house, it's like having a porn store in your closet. That's why if you have a computer in your house, you better be watching that computer. But this morning, I believe that maybe because of the confusion, because of the lies that are swirling, that maybe I, there's some that are just, weak in their walk with God and they can't figure out why I can't have zeal anymore and why have I, am I losing my passion and why am I losing my love and my zeal <clears throat> for the Lord well it could be just so many bad signs you're reading and that's all you're seeing and I just want to pray for you this morning again I think both online and here so just everybody just close your eyes for a moment if you would because <clears throat> I want every one of us to examine ourselves 
Bible talks about going into a closet. Sometimes just closing your eyes is like going into a closet. You're not looking about some other person. You're just thinking about yourself right now. And God's Holy Spirit is going to begin to brood inside of you and begin to speak something to you if you'll let him that, that will be critical for your life. And maybe it's salvation for the first time. If you've never really done that, you don't remember receiving a new heart. Or maybe it's just that you're finding yourself starting to drift a little bit from what the book of Revelations calls first love. I've lost, I'm losing my first love. I love God, I'll say that, but I've lost my first love. First love is silly crazy. So Father, this morning, first I pray for those that may be, hear, be hearing me or hear this at some point. If they've not accepted you as Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ as their Lord, that today would be that day. That they would open up the knock on their heart. And they would let you come in and change their life. But I also pray, God, for the body of Christ that seems to maybe be losing some fervor, and becoming more challenged than ever before in our, in our walk and in our journey, that if there's any that have lost that first love and that zeal, that today would be a day to recommit and to uh, turn, as the, the word repent means, to turn around. And let us get back on track as your body, as your sons, and as your daughters here today. Well, we don't want to be without zeal. We don't want to be found like the book of Revelation where you said they did a lot of good things, but they didn't have that first love. And you condemn that. And I pray today that, God, our hearts will be stirred up as we begin this season. Yes, a celebration, but also a remembrance of our Savior, Jesus, coming as a child to rescue us. And we thank you for that. Would you just thank the Lord for that right now? Just thank him for that. God, we thank you for this season and what it represents and what we hold dear. For your son coming. And God, we will, we will honor you and we will pursue you. and We'll follow you, God, with a passionate heart all the days of our lives. And I thank you, God, that you help us in that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Listen, if you uh, really actually received Christ for the first time this morning, man, just get a hold of us. You can go online if you're online. Get a hold of us. We'd love to help walk you through it. The Bible says when you're born again, you're like a child. So you need to now be nurtured. And, uh, and then, or maybe you just made a recommitment and you need some direction. We're here to help you. We've got, you know, pastors that will help you group leaders that will help you in that pursuit so that you don't lose your first love or your passion. Amen? If you're excited, will you stand up and just give the Lord one more big hand this morning? Come on.